everybody, it's JJ Friend, and you're listening to the JJ Friend Connection on Spotify, Apple, Podcast One. Uh, before I go on, I just want to tell everyone that on October 8th, I will be performing at the Long Island Music Hall of Fame in Stony Brook. It's going to be, um, I'm going to be performing with Joe Rock, but I'm going to be doing a book signing and I'm going to be doing a Q&A. And for all of you Long Islanders who are addicted to the days of speaks, believe it or not, I've got members of the Good Rats, I've got members of Zebra, and I got members of um, Stan Anderson. They're going to join me on stage for the first time ever. And, you know, D, that's like a Hall of Fame lineup, isn't it? Right? Yeah, yeah. You're just missing like uh, someone from Rat Race Choir. Yeah, unfortunately. Maybe. <laughs> unfortunately they're not there uh but anyway it's going to be october 8th starting at about 5 p.m and tickets are going on sale soon so if you want to uh see the by the way if you hear these sirens around me it's not that um, i'm in the witness protection program this is new york city folks and that's just what we have to live with there's nothing we can do about it amazing what you get used to I, uh, so anyway october 8th stony brook manhattan uh, stony brook a long wow. musical of fame uh, close to the old Stony Brook Mad Hatter. And yeah. now without further ado, my guest. So my guest is a singer, songwriter, um, actor, director, but he also happens to be an author. And we're here to talk about his new book. And he also happens to be uh, my business partner because we've been business partners for God knows, like 46 years or something like that. So uh, here he is. Yeah, it's got to be 40, yeah, 46 or 47. Mr. Mr. D. Snyder. Hey, bud. Hey, man. How you doing? Well, yeah, good. I know, I know I'm not, I know this to be a true statement I'm going to make, my friend, because you're my friend, and I know I'm your friend, and we went through the war together, and I'm glad one, my best thing that came out of reuniting to me was reconnecting with all you guys as people and as friends, and, you know, to talk to Mark, to talk to Eddie, talk to you, and, and just, you know, we felt, God, we went through so much, it always bothered me. You know, as you say, we, we Twisted Sister came in like a lion and went out like a with like a lamb at the end of the '80s, and it always bothered me. We should have spontaneously combusted something more dramatic. But um, we reunited, we got we got through the the past, and then we ended on high note, a real high note, you know. So yeah, we did. That last show was rather interesting too for for me. You know, it was weird because it was Kiss was the headliner that night, and if you think about it, you know. I auditioned for them in 72. It was kind of like a bookend for me, you know, philosophically weird bookend to to go through that. Uh, also, recently, I've been interviewed a lot about the New York Dolls. And, you know, the Dolls, because I saw them a lot back in 70, in 72. And I saw, you know, Kiss rehearsed in the loft in 72. I remember thinking the Dolls look great, but they couldn't play. And Kiss, believe it or not, in that loft, they had it together. I mean, they knew exactly what they were going for. They They sounded like Slade. You know, that's what they're into. They're into yeah. into the heavy bands. You know, they had Marshall amplifiers. People do not understand. American bands did not use Marshall amps, except for Jimi Hendrix. It was the British bands using Marshalls. When Kiss had Marshalls in their loft, and they knew exactly what they were going for. So um, it's you amazing. It's interesting because um, you told me, so Wicked Lester was the band you were in for a minute, and I often quote that when 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 gene and paul came down to see you perform and uh afterwards they met you and, and gene says uh, take off your glasses you know you're better without them you look too jewish uh so and that's what he said to you you had john lennon glasses you were too jewish Chaim Witz called you too I know. I, unbelievable. One, but anyway they were kind of crosby stills and nashish 
You said they weren't really. No, the no. Wicked Lester tapes were not yeah. what I saw them as Kiss when they have changed over. I'm saying, but Wicked Lester. But yeah, the Wicked Lester tapes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of traditional. Not only that, it sounded like Jethro Tull. You know, huh. they played, they, they had like uh, recorders. She walks by moonlight flutes, like do 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 do. No one really knows. And then so Gene, what you're saying is, John, is that this is a really um, thought out, planned out change for them. John, uh, they, they went from Wicked Lester and that sort of lighter rock sound and decided we are going to embrace a more hard rock style. We're going to look more hard rock makeup. Everything was very thought out, which you know, knowing, you know, Gene, as the world does, it's kind of not surprising. Well, don't forget, too, I, I shifted from Grateful Dead to, you know, to like Martha Hoople overnight, you know, to Bowie Mott. True. That's true. Yeah. You no, know, I, I woke up one day and went, this sucks. Yeah. So um, so you're here today because you got a book and man, this book. I'm holding it up here. You know, if this one's up on YouTube, a uh, book is called Frats. Now we're going to get into why it's called Frats. Uh, do you remember, uh, D, do you remember a, a political comment, uh, commentator named Chris Matthews used to have a political yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a voice of MSNBC, John. So you knew. That's right. So you know, in the Chris line Matthews. of fire tonight at eight with Chris, uh, Chris Matthews in the line of fire tonight at eight on MSNBC. I did that for a year. So the reason why I bring that up is because um, he used to tag the end of his shows with a question to all his guests. And his question was, tell me something I don't know. That was always his question. Well, that really applies to this book because this was something I did not know. In fact, not only did I not know this, most people do not know this. And in the book, the opening of the book, when you have your protagonist, Bobby Kovac, in a car with some people from work, and he's on, he's stuck in a bad traffic jam and he sees a license plate that says DGN on the license plate. And he makes a comment. Well, you know, there was a frat, you know, back in the day, which was, I guess, Delta Gamma knew. And he yeah. made a comment and someone said, what frat in college? And he said, no, in high school. And they said they had frats in high school. So how did you know? Did you know this? Like, how did the story evolve? Well, I grew up in Baldwin, uh, Long Island, where, you know, where the old 1890s club used to be when we were playing. Um, and it just was the way of the world. It was just, it was the world. And, you know, in, a, in elementary school, you, the frats were people you want to stay away from. Different frats were worse than others, but they were all kind of troublemakers and, and tough guys. So, I grew up in this world where you say, okay, well, don't go past that store. Or don't go down this street. I'll walk around this block. You, it was just like a minefield that I knew existed. And in junior high, the same. And then in high school, I was just a big, weird dude. Uh, in the book, I'm one of the Bretts. I'm not one of the guys in the frats. I'm one of the dorks. That, that The Bretts in the book, which is the reference I'm making, that's me, Dominello, and a guy, Ray. I can't remember his name. The three of us, we used to sit at our lunch table and between uh, planning on robbing the bank across the street, alternately, we'd observe the fraternities and all their antics and what they did and try not to get in their way. So um, this, but to me, that was just the world, you know? I mean, I remember, this is true. I remember getting a class that required me to uh, go past uh, the, the, the shop area where they hung out. And 
in order to because I was like a charge a big, you know, the brown afro. It's just a weird dude. Platform shoes, and uh, I went outside in the dead of winter every day and walked around the back of the school just to avoid having to be harassed by these guys. But this was just the world. When I started to travel with the band and I bring it up, people would say, high school fraternities, what's that? And then I start telling them and they were basically just gangs and they were very violent. And when I would tell them the stories, people were very interested. So I started to think that maybe there was a tale to tell and but I often wondered, what if you didn't grow up there? What if you didn't know the lay of the land? What if you transferred there, like many kids do? You walked in the first day of school, not knowing it was a minefield, and walked right onto a mine. And that's what Bobby Kovacs does. Pretty much the first day of school, he crosses somebody, and it changes his life forever. Now, you did not know that these frats these high school gangs existed on the North shore or in Suffolk County or in New Jersey. You had no idea that only this geographical area that you grew up with. They were everywhere. It was Baldwin, Freeport, no Baldwin, Freeport, Oceanside, Uniondale, Hempstead, uh, Valley stream, Valley stream, Rockville center, that yeah. Southern, Southern uh, area of, of, of Nassau County, not North shore, not Suffolk. It didn't go into Suzette, was in Belmore, only a couple of towns away. Nope, didn't exist. No kidding. They didn't uh, exist. They didn't exist that far, that far east. They stopped. It, stopped. it was a microcosm. Um, when did these frats uh start? How did they actually begin? Like in the 50s? Like when did this go on? Pretty interesting, actually. Um, so the fraternity, the first fraternity started in Brooklyn at an engineering school. And it was uh, Omega Gamma Delta. I had to change all the names and colors for legal reasons. But Omega Gamma Delta, well, actually, the oldest frat in the country is uh, a Jewish frat. It's black. It's purple and white. And it is the oldest frat, uh, Jews only. But they had one in my high school. I can't remember the um, the letters of the, of that uh, frat. But Omega was that Tar was that Tar Zeta Epsilon, or is that your invention? That's my invention. I forgot okay. what I used. I used to have everybody's names. I know them by heart, but I had to change them, so I just kind of screwed it up. But Omega okay. Gamma Delta was the first fraternity, high school fraternity, started at an engineering school in Brooklyn. Steve Buscemi was a member of Omega Gamma Delta. Yeah, he was a member of Omega. But Omega Gamma Delta was the the premier, and I can't believe Buscemi was in there. Premier athletes, students, white Christians. You had to be a white Christian or you could not be an Omega Gamma Delta. That was the first one. Then some people out in, in Nassau County who had relatives in Brooklyn, they started up their own chapter. I don't know whatever happened to the chapter in Brooklyn, but it faded away, I think. But all of a sudden, from Omega Gamma Delta, other fraternities started because there were people who weren't white Christians and they wanted to be in a frat. They were jocks, so they started green and red. That's the one. The colors are all different. That's the frat that Bobby's in. They were jocks, but they allowed people who weren't white and allowed people who weren't Christians. And then other frats started because everybody wanted sort of their clique. They wanted their, their group to sort of protect them. And that is in the book. And this is where I know the evil frat very intimately because it was started by Scott Offner. They were called, they were called Alpha Omega Theta. Their, their name is different in the book, but they weren't an evil frat. 
Scott was just trying to create a, a group for the stoners to protect themselves from getting their asses kicked in by all kicked by all the other frats. Everybody wanted, but by picking the name the word Alpha, which which another fraternity had their name, they became a target for that fraternity who were offended that they, they used the same Greek letter in their name. So Scott Alpha told me that the first few years was spent they wore track shoes. And they just ran all day long because they were going to be beat up for wearing colors. Then Scott, the brilliant one, got the idea to start recruiting. Normally, you recruit high schoolers. He started recruiting in junior high, getting the toughest junior high kids, and then you know bringing them up. So when they got in high school, they were already not only in his fraternity, but they hated the other frats. And Roger Opner, his brother, became one of the biggest, most deadliest, most badass of members of that fraternity and the whole tone, once those kids grew up now, it became like almost a biker mentality fraternity. They're more, really more of a gang. It was all about violence. And I became best friends with, with Roger for a very long time. So I really got to hear about that fraternity and what it was like to be in the evil fraternity uh, and you know, uh, in, in detail. So I really have a lot of real information about the fraternity system, even though I wasn't in it. What was the tipping point where they went from just, you know, arrogant jocks to violence? Like when did, what, what was the instigator for that? Because, you know, these guys all started out, I'm assuming, as you point out, it was jocks. It was people at the top of their class. That was a frat. That was supposed to be what it's supposed. When did it turn bad? Like in the late sixties, what happened there? Well, it, it started uh, in the 60s, I think, as the first frat started. So by the 70s, that's when I was in. It was at its height, full-blown. By the early 80s, uh, it was banned. And uh, the story, as I said, is based on actual events. The event that nearly, that Bobby Kovacs, and that's, that's, that's the event that ended. I don't want to give it away, but what happened to him um, happened to somebody, and that was the end of the frat system because people were dying, you know, uh, and it, it was getting so ugly. And what happened was basically competition was created. First, when it was just the first Omega Gamma Delta, it was just one frat, and then you just were like, you know, hey, we're the jocks, and we're blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden, there is, you know, another fraternity, um, Alpha Omega Theta, Alpha Omega Theta. Now it's, a, it's another frat, and now they have competition. As more and more frats started, they, the friction started because there was, you know, sort of turf and that whole turf thing going on. Who hangs out where? One of the things I talk about in the um, in the book, and it's based, you know, this is a real coming of age story. In you know, in the, the lobby of my school, it was like very highly designated. This frat sat, sat there, that frat sat there, and it, everybody had their spots, and you couldn't go if you tried to move into another person's spot. It was a war. So it was like that. It was that tense all the time. And again, having grown up there, it just seemed normal. It just seemed old. You know, it sucks, but it's but this is just the way it is. So you saw it in junior high school. This was coming. You knew this was coming. It's basically Yeah, they weren't in the junior high, they were in high school, and you knew but you in junior high school were aware that this was uh elementary school is aware. Elementary school, these guys were all over town wearing their colors. And because they had uh, they had charters with the police department, they were treated with a certain like oh this legit legitimacy. They would march in the holiday parades. I just saw I, I didn't know that 
like Memorial Day Parade, the fraternities with all their jackets on in mass would march through the streets of your town. I saw a picture of Roger Offner leading a pack of black and red with a big black and red banner they're holding across the street and he's walking out front and and people would cheer and they walk down the streets. You know, you've been to like a Memorial Day parade or Labor Day, any kind of parade, people cheer. They would cheer the Francis, they walk by. But that's how they, that's the regard they had were held in the school. They were somehow legitimate, even though, you know, people say, what's the difference between a college frat and a, and a high school frat? College frats, frats play beer pong. High school frats rumble. They were always fighting. You know, it, it, you remember that scene in West Side Story in the very first rumble in the schoolyard between the Jets and the Sharks? Yeah. And the police show up and the cop is looking at the Sharks because they're Puerto Rican and he goes, Lee, you know, Bernardo, leave, please. But, but he's looking at the other guy and goes, come on, guys, come on, don't do this. Is that kind of that thing? There was like a grudging and a respect for some of these frats and they let they let them get away with shit? Well, yeah, well, I mean, even the police and the authorities knew uh, and, and the school, you know, like the dean, they knew who the jock frats and jock frats and sororities had were more legit because they were athletes, you know. Uh, then there was the dirtbag frats and there was multiple of those, the worst being uh, black and red, who, who, different colors in my book. And they were, uh, you know, they had the highest disregard by the police and by the teachers and stuff like that, because people knew they were troublemakers. They were up to no good. So, um, so there was definitely, yeah, there was definitely favoritism. So in the book, you mentioned a Delta Zeta Theta. I'm just having fun rattling this stuff off. Beta Lambda Rho, Delta Gamma Nu, Beta Kappa Phi. I mean, I, I actually enjoy saying these things. Um, were these frats ever separated via race or religion uh, or Italian versus Irish? You know, was it that part too? Was there any of that aspect going on with these things? There were two frats that had strict religious rules. That was the Jewish frat. Uh, I, I get it. I have my names. I don't know my name, the Jewish frat and uh, the, and the all white Christian frat. And they were very strict about it. Uh, and in my book, um, Bobby Kovacs is, you know, he's a jock, uh, and he's and he and he's he's a, he's, he grew up on a, on a on a Air Force base, so he, he knows some martial arts. So everybody wants him to be in the frat, but the, uh, the 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 white Christian frat comes up to him and says, "Hey Kovacs, we like to have you in the frat, but you're a Jew, so you can't be in." And Co and Kovacs, he's not Jewish. He says an Eastern European name. It could be Jewish, but and but he's he's so it's he, he doesn't want to deny. Say I'm not Jewish because he's, he thinks these guys are assholes, you know. So because because I'm Jewish, I'm not in. But then he's equally uh, confused by the fact that one of the most uh, uh, the group of people that have been the most outcast and the most segregated Jewish people, they walk up and say, um, "Hey man, we know you're not Jewish, so you can't be in the frat." So it's like, wow, you know, like. But the other frats were open, but Baldwin, Long Island, where I grew up, was white. We had two black people. It was white, white, white. Before the high school was built, the Ku Klux Klan had cross burnings on the golf course that the high school was built on. You can't. When George Wallace was running, he right. came to Baldwin, and he was he was cheered before he pulled out. Baldwin was Wallace country. So there was this, and it was right next to Freeport, which was black, and Roosevelt was black, and, and Baldwin was white. So 
you know, I don't know, you know, there was it was one black jock, you know, or two black jocks, and they were in, you know, one in one of the fraternities. But it's hard to say how far the racism went. So in the book, I won't give a um I'm not going to give this away in any big way. It just it, in this car ride, uh, when when uh, when Bobby mentions the uh, the license plate, and they said, "What do you know about these things?" and he pushed his hair out of the way, and 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 the people noticed a scar, and that's the entrance to the book. That's the entrance to the story. Why does he have a scar? That's what the entrance and oh, big that, scar. a big scar. Yeah. and you find out exactly what the 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 trail that that took so did you get firsthand information besides from roger and scott did you talk to anybody else in any of these frats or and or and how much of the story because you say based on true events yeah. so it all this stuff happened well even like Correct. seeing the license plate with the with the frat letters on it that i saw that and riding down the street one time and i saw the license plate and i said oh man that's you know alpha omega theta what you know and and so that's even little things like that, pieces like that. Um, but both of the, I, I had the nerd side down, man. I mean, that part where they are running through the backyards to get away from the fraternities, uh, which and um, and and Bobby finds out that this is a rehearsed thing that the geeky kids, the nerdy kids, did. That's what we did. We practiced getting away. From frats and people and people like that. By we knew like every backyard, every area, we, we knew how to jump, climb, run around, get the hell out of there. So this is that part of the reality of the story. Um, there was a book out there, there's a book out called Fraternal Brotherhood. And it's by a member of uh, an, a, a Alpha Omega Theta, no, yeah, Alpha Omega Theta, uh, Green and Red, which is which is in reality Bobby's fraternity. Um, and it's all about the inner workings in the 70s. Um, you know, stuff we heard about, stuff we had the rumors about Hell Night and, and the hazing and the, the meetings and all that stuff. We saw some of it. We didn't know what went on inside the houses. And this guy shares in depth the story, the truth of the story behind the scenes. He doesn't say, but if I'm in his point of view, it's called Fraternal Brotherhood. It's a loving uh, ode to his friends that he grew up with. And this great high school memories he has of the years when he was in uh, was in that fraternity. Uh, for me, it was a textbook uh, with information and more details that I could reference. And then, you know, pretty much everything in that book, it's a it's an amalgam. It, you know, it took pieces of different things. It didn't all just happen to one person. The Jimmy O character, I, I'm not giving anything away. Those horrible things he did in the end, the horrible, horrible ones. You, John, when you get to the end. Those were done by members of that fraternity. That really happened. Oh, what, I won't well, explain that, what it is, but it's horrible. The things that get him finally put away for life, yeah. that really happened. So it wasn't Jimmy O's an imaginary character, but it happened to other, these things all happen to other people. The only thing that really isn't true in there is the inciting incident, as it's called. And that's where Bobby sees his friend being beat up and he he goes in to help him and that causes all the problems bobby has that was a made-up situation it could have happened it might have happened but i didn't have like to say oh yeah this happened to that guy you know so um yeah but and, and then of course the the love story i had to base it on something so i use a lot of my uh suzette and me stuff 
Yeah, well, yeah, and that that among many things, I'm sorry, when I see a, a name like John Russo, um, when I see descriptions of Tank, when I see these, you, you have to remember, D, even though I was a Manhattan kid, your inclusion in the band and us playing in Oceanside opened me up to an entirely different scene. And I got to know for quite a while. You, I mean, you got inserted, so you knew. Yeah, yeah I knew. Know. Well, look, Lori went to Hicksville High with her brother. He was a jock in Hicksville High. You know, he got drafted by Woody Hayes in Ohio State. I mean, there's that. There's Debbie Cordero. You know, I mean, I, I dated Debbie out of Oceanside. We all went through some really crazy stuff uh, down at Speaks. We saw a whole lot of things. So we're going to discuss a little bit about the dovetailing of the timeline, but I want to understand something. Do the principals of these schools know what the hell was going on? Did they really understand that they were holding on to monster to monsters in their respective schools and their high schools? They should have. The story that I tell about um, the War Council, when there was going to be this big rumble with the bad guy frat. Um, and, uh, and by the way, it's the first time I ever laid eyes on Roger Obner. Uh And uh, Dean Kloberg, who had mentioned that's actually Dean Kloberg by name, she called the War Council, invited them to the high school to meet with the other frat they were going to rumble with and sit down in a the little theater, just like I described it. I wasn't in that room, but they came in and it, and it was their effort to try to make the peace between the fraternities and, and stop violence. So there's certainly at least that degree of awareness for sure. You know, it just reminds me when I was in my drug days, I would, uh, my mother, um, my mother entered me into a drug rehab clinic called Alfred Adler, thinking that would cure me, you know, except all I did was meet other drug addicts whose job it was to get as wrecked as we possibly could after we'd met with the counselor. It did absolutely no good. We would leave, we'd leave the session, come to my house and take more acid. You know, it just didn't, That's didn't help. Sex addicts anonymous is like, you know, like you go there, you meet other sex addicts and Hey, what's up? Let's hook up. Let's go. You know, you're addicted. I'm addicted. Let's go. Well, how old were you? So you graduated in what year from high school? 1973. All right. 73. And you joined the band in 76. So you made it out just as the things were started. As you left it, it was still high. It was still big time frats yeah. when you left. Frats were, were just, you know, the way of the world over there. And, it, you know, the hyper violence and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was just the way of the world. How did they treat the the musicians? Were you just all looked on as like crazy uh, hippie outcast weirdos and nobody bothered you? Or did you feel threatened uh, yourselves? In, you know, um, so there was, as I said in the book, and I go and lay out the lay of the land, which was really how it was, where frats, you know, the, this frats here, this frats there. There's the smart kids. They sat against that wall. And then there was the freaks, the 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 freaks, musicians, uh, you know, they they were right on the radiator because that's what they sat on. They were down there right on the same window as fraternities. And there was sort of peaceful coexistence as long as you didn't cross lines. And I don't think, as I say in the book, a lot of the picking on of the nerdier kids and stuff is just boredom. They've got nothing to do. So let's push some of the geeks around and, you know, it's, but it's not really like a competition. They're not threatened by them. The other fraternities were, were threatening their existence, but then 
you know, my worst experience with Pratt's was um, after seeing Clockwork Orange, I decided I was going to wear a derby in school every day. You, really, you never <laughs> told me that. No. You have I, a picture no, of that. I, 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 no, I don't, unfortunately. I have my fledgling afro, so you know what a derby on an afro looks like. You know, it's like yeah. picking out the size. And I'm walking around and wearing my Flag Brothers platform shoes. So I'm like six foot seven, you know, and walking around with a derby on. And that was just too much for one of the fraternities. It's like, all right, this guy's got to go. And they shoved me and stole my freaking derby, beat me up and stole my derby. And uh, that was my, that was, otherwise they kind of left me alone, but that was just, I was just annoying the shit out of them because I was just too much of a freak. But instead, you know, as they say, rather than withdrawing and being less loud and less obvious, I just started getting louder and louder, hence our band, you know. Did you play in a high school band at that time? The, yes. I the with only... Don with Don Manello, for example. Yeah. I mean and, and with and with um uh uh, 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 uh the drummer, uh, Joey Stefko. No, Rich Will Joe Stefko Joe, okay, Joey Stefko was in the bad fraternity. He was in black and red. Joey okay. was Joey Stefko, drummer played with Meatloaf and Flo and Eddie and the Turtles, legendary drummer. Um, and I, I actually, he helped me with the book. It was another source and did a proofread for me and stuff like that. And he explained, I said, dude, you were in black and red. I first, I saw him in another frat. He goes, yeah, he goes, I was just kind of, uh, they call me drummer. And I was just kind of entertainment for them. You know, um, they hung out at my house and I played drums and they thought it was cool. So they sort of let me slide, but he said, I really wasn't a badass they just took me in he said he said i was a, i was a pet you know so but so he just so i guess name in there marky creator the creator is what they used to call my brother mark snyder marky they used to call him mark creator for some reason so uh marky mofo creator so i use a lot of names from from the past and things like that there's one easter egg i make one appearance in the book it's an easter egg and it's at the prom and the band dusk is playing d-u-s-k and um, and Bobby says he, he says they were the band that played all the dances and stuff. The singer went on, went on to become pretty famous. Well, I was in Dusk, and we were the band. By my senior year, we we had this weird acceptance because you know you'd be like these these dirtbag frat guys that you were sort of running away from and staying away from. Yet at the dances, they go, "Hey man, did you play Run 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 by JoJo Gun?" You know, and all of a sudden they were like these sort of geeky. People who, you know, like being in the band, you know, and all of a sudden they're like looking up to you. So, yeah, so my band was the band for a while there. Yeah, well, you know, back during the worst of the Northern Ireland conflict between the Catholics and the Protestants, the nightclubs were, were out of bounds. You couldn't touch the music. You couldn't touch the bands. Like, you know, someone needs to entertain these crazies, you know? And so they were pretty much left alone. And that's kind of what you're saying here. They kind of like just kind of acknowledged you need entertainment at the yeah. apocalypse, don't you? Need someone <laughs> to play some music for us. Yeah, exactly. 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 There's yeah, a great documentary about that Miami sound machine or something, that Irish band that got killed in the streets. Oh, one of like the biggest club bands. But they were driving, traveling from one gig to another one night, and they got pulled over, and they were all slaughtered. It's a really interesting story. I'm, I'm, I'm probably blowing the whole thing, but you'll find it. So, um, as so, nineteen seventy six, you join, you join us, and now we're playing. And of course, I'm blissfully unaware of this crazy world and history that you had in the high schools. 
Did you ever see these people show up at any of the gigs? I mean, did they show up at 1890s? Did they show up at Hammerheads in Levittown? Did you ever see these people again? Uh, well, well, you know, my modus operandi was just stay in the back. I never went out and walked around. So I wouldn't have had the opportunity to cross their paths if they were there. Um, I do. Only thing I do know is that when Newsday did an article on me after we broke, uh, you know, everybody they interviewed was my friend. Everybody knew me and nobody, I was like very unpopular. I just had a handful. There was Manello and Ray, you know, sitting at our lunchroom table, uh, you know, and then there was the Housers, William David Hauser, you know, I had a right. handful, handful of friends. I was just, you know, and then I had my musician friends, but I really didn't work too well with them because I didn't party or get high. So yeah, I could sing, but then afterwards, I really wasn't fun to hang around with, as you well know. So uh, did, you, uh, did you create the character of John Russo in memory of the great John Russo, by the way? I did. I did. Uh, Johnny One Punch Russo. That's uh, Johnny One Punch Russo for sure. Yeah. And John Russo was one of he was one of our, our, our bodyguards, one of the most lethal people I ever met. You know, so we, 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 you know, it's funny being the musician type art types that we were, we attracted a lot of pretty tough people. Some really tough people. Yeah, Sal, Orca, yeah, the Sal, whole crew. Roger, John, Roger, of course. And they yeah. and they loved us. Again, I, you know, everybody needs music, I guess. And they became very, all became very protective of us being their band. You know, we never, I mean, there's, you know, plenty of nights where I've jumped off the stage and gotten a shoving match with somebody or whatever. But but we had these tough fans who just were drawn to our attitude, drawn to what we were doing, and they were very, very protective of the band. They uh, were. became our bodyguards, and a lot of them went on, actually eventually went on tour with us internationally. Yeah, they uh, and John Russo, unfortunately, was murdered. I, 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 I not at long, probably about, in fact, at the Rock and Roll, at the Long Island Music Hall of Fame, I met the guy who was his roommate at the time he was murdered, and we talked about Johnny, and Johnny was an interesting character, because not only was he the toughest guy in the world, but he was a Chuck Berry lunatic. You remember, he could sing every Chuck Berry, and he played Chuck Berry guitar style. He was so insane. I remember the first time we saw him, him and his brother. And his brother. Yeah. Showing up every night, and they'd be like right in the front with the girls. like these, And they were built like washing machines. I mean, they were like big. And and, and, would be the, and just the whole set just be like, you know, pumping a fist in the air. And eventually we they, we took him in. And, and again, uh, yeah, it's, it's sad that he passed. He, boy, he, you know, again. He defended our, our honor more times than not, you know. Many times. Fought himself out of a ban at, uh, remember they tried to kidnap him down at, um, uh, in Jamesburg at, uh, at Emmett's Inn. He disappeared for two hours and he came back and he was kidnapped in the parking lot and he beat the crap out of everybody in the van and came back. He was covered in blood. How would it happen? Bad guy to kidnap. Oh he, my God. Bad guy. Big mistake. This guy. And, and, but he wasn't super tall. One of the things we learned was you need bodyguards need to be have size because when they're smaller, usually the smaller guys are the toughest guys, but they get tested. John was always, you know, getting into fights because people thought oh, I could take him. No, you can't. You can't. So, tell me John this about because I know Roger and Scott really, really, really well, and at their and in, in their heart of hearts, they're very decent people. I mean, their heart of hearts were they protectors of of uh, uh, of. I were either. I mean, I can't imagine they were in the violent frats, right? They were just, you know, was Roger violent? A violent? Yes, 
I, was, was he Scott was started he, the evil frat and Roger made it the evilest frat. So Roger was that fan. Yeah. But understand, see, so I, what I learned to um, came to understand, like, why were they so hate-filled? Because Scott, who started the frat with a bunch of stoners, was getting persecuted by the other frats. He brought in younger kids, including his brother, and groomed them to protect the frat and hate the other frats who were persecuting them. So when they grew up, they had chips on their shoulders for these other frats who were always picking on them. And now suddenly, you know, you didn't want to pick on Scott. You know, and that you don't want to become a Roger, I should say. Roger, right. And he was a lot of Rogers in those fraternities. So they just became vengeful and they just had this built-in hatred of all the other fraternities that came from being picked on. So, you know, I mean, so it was sort of a not honorable, but you understand where it came from, you know, how they came to be so hateful to the other fraternities. Yeah. Well, in the book, it's there's an arc uh about the relationship between uh, between Bobby and his girlfriend, eventually how that works out. So there is always there's a bit of romantic streak in there, which of course I see an awful lot of uh, of uh, how you drew um, Suzette in this. Yeah, in Suzette, this. yeah. But let me let me just say about that. So I was there's things that you know I, I wasn't a frat, but I was in a band, and I and I I was able to identify with a lot of what Bobby did. Like Bobby when he when he was when he was with the guys. He would make the mistake of ignore, uh, ignoring his girlfriend and going with the guys and hanging with the guys and thinking she's okay. I did that too many times to Suzette in a club. You know what I mean? Oh, she's cool. She's talking to you know the other girls. Yeah, she's all right. And then go off with the friends. So I, this is something, this is a mistake a lot of guys make, I think, sometimes and during their lives. And um, so even I so I understood the idea of being with a bunch of a group of guys who have a huge influence over you, who you don't want to disappoint, you don't want to um, alienate. They're your brothers, you know. And you guys, in my in my case, my band and my crew and all those people. And you kind of sometimes, and you know. So I understood the idea, and and I and I had Suzette go home on her own a couple of nights, exactly like it is in the book. Just get a cab and leave. And what happened to you? Where'd you go? I said you disappeared and you left me standing, you know. And I said, well. He's gone. I'm going, you know, so except she didn't say it that nicely. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but 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 in the in the book, there's a confrontation where Bobby's going to this war council, essentially, and she's going you and your stupid fraternities like you just want to kill each other. It reminds me of that scene in West Side Story when Bernardo and Anita are coming off the roof and he's going, I must go to war council. She goes, a war council. Are you serious? Like, what are you idiots do it, it reminded me of that same mentality of the woman's going, you know, use some common sense here. Here, this is like this is bullshit here, right? Well, and that's the thing, you know. It, it's it's Bobby recognizes it immediately when he comes to the school. He's they want him to be in the frats. He's like, you know what, my senior year, I just it's too much drama. Clearly, you can see it's drama and there's this hazing going on, and I just want to finish my year and get. And, you know, he, he wants to play a little. You know, what I mean, he's kind of there. And he gets sucked into it. But once you're in there, it starts to, the drama seems important. And then this guy did that and slighted you and, slighted, and did that to him. And now you have to defend his honor and her honor. And, and all of a sudden, you now the drama becomes part of your life. And it's just high school bullshit. You know, most people know, and you know, and I know, life begins after high school. The day I walked out that door, 
I never looked back. I never thought about it again. There's no glory days. But there are people whose lives begin and end when they leave high school or college. That's the greatest days of their life. Those people are there forever. He said, but, you know, it's just bullshit. But those people, that was everything, you know, and yeah. he gets sucked into that world. Yeah. Um, question. Did you write every word yourself? Did you have anybody work with you on the on the right? Because it's uh, I'll tell you, it flows beautifully. Uh, the you the story takes you right away. I mean, once I started reading the book, I went through it. Like I went through it. I couldn't put it down. I thought the flow was really great. Did you get help in that? Uh, myself? So I mean, I, so my writing. I started writing after the twisted videos took off. When the twisted videos took off. People and some people say, "Hey, man, you you seem to be." Hooked into the Zet guys. You got any other ideas? And I was like, well, yeah, in my head. And they go, no, 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 like a script or it. So I started, I don't know if you remember, but I started. Well, you were writing, writing all the time. I yeah, know you were writing. Writing and I just started teaching myself to write. That was 40 years ago. And I've been writing, 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 writing. And it's a craft like anything, you know, and you and I both know they talk about the 10,000 hours. Well, I put in my 10,000 hours. And after I wrote my memoirs, I felt, you know what? I'm, I think I'm ready to write a novel. So I can write. And and I, every word I did myself, and and uh, it's it's kind of what I like to do now. It's because it's very freeing. You know, I'm not limited by my age, my color, my sex, anything, uh, my physicality. It's if I can create a character that people will read and believe is believable. I've done my job. It doesn't matter who I am behind the behind the typewriter. And I love that about writing. Well, you did it. You did it. And the book is called Frats. And it's a really like favorite thing. You and Suzette said, I'm cutting you off. They said basically the same thing to me after you read the book. You basically said the same thing. You said, I don't need to blow more smoke up your ass, but it was really good. Suzette <laughs> was, your ego's big enough already, but the book's really good. <laughs> but it was like, both of you were kind of like, I hate to tell you this. I, I hate to tell you this. What's already going on. <laughs> like, like if it's yeah. really sucked and I had to force myself through this interview and be like, eh, you know, but it, no, the minute I did it, I went, wow, I got to have, you got to be on, you got to talk about it. You got to promote it. How do you just, how does, how do people get this now? Look, it should be in every store It's available through every store, but you'll go to stores. They won't have it. So tell them they need to order it. But of course there's Amazon and online outlets. They'll deliver it prime. will deliver it tomorrow. You know? So, uh, and then I'm just right now I'm, I'm working on the audio because there are certain now there's a certain group of people who only do audiobooks. Yeah, I know. You know why? Because on my book, I wanted to do it. And they said you got a hire a guy to do it. So they <laughs> I wish I did it myself, but I hired a professional guy who did my Oh, audio. did they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you got a good voice, but but you know, I did you try I mean, I've been, you know, I've been doing voiceovers for reading copies is pretty unnatural to me now. So so I, I'm able to do it. But um but yeah, it, it, so but people like so the audiobook's coming. The uh, you've got actually, I'm looking at what you've got, and I realize you got a reader's copy. The reader's copy is the copies we send advanced copies to people who are going to read it and let us know if there's mistakes. So when I was reading the doing do, doing my uh, my 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 reads, I was using a reader's copy. I'm going, wait a second, there's mistakes in here, and and I, I said, what the hell was this? And then I realized. When I went and checked the actual copy that came out, I said, oh, this is why you send out copies to a bunch of trusted people and they read it for you to say, oh, you know, there's some problems. Anyway, 
but you know, but yeah, I, thank you for that. For, for, I had for, a historical um, mistake in my book, and 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 a, and a, one of Sharon's uh, cousins caught it, so I know he read the book. He said, "By the way, this couldn't have happened that year," and he was right. He was that had nothing to do with Twisted. Obviously, it was like something right, right, about right. it was in history, and and he couldn't. And also, um, uh, there was another funny anecdote which I'll tell you all off camera about a conversation with Jimmy Vizana. You remember Jimmy V, right? Yeah, From, I do. Uh, Chaucer's, yeah. yeah. He uh, he called me. He read the book and he had an interesting comment to make, which I'll I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> anyway, what do you, what do you got coming up? Uh, you get shows coming. Are you doing some stuff? What are you What are you doing? I have fully retired from performing. Uh, I might well okay fully. I just came back and did a few songs with Brett Michaels. I'll do something like that. Kings of Chaos. I do a few songs. You know, just like but to do a ninety hour forty five two hours twenty five songs. No, no, no. Uh, you know, the, the, I don't even know if the mind, I don't even know. You know, you once said, you're the most self-loathing front man I ever, I have ever met. He said that to me and it was true. I was so tortured by my love of performing and love of rock and roll and my hate of it at the same time, like how seriously I took it. And, but also it just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a tortured artist. I was, you know that, um, but I'm done with that. So, um, yeah, I do appearances, you know, I go through signings. I've been doing book signings. Um, going to be directing a movie, My Enemy's Enemy. Uh, what's this stupid, uh, no, I don't say stupid strike. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an actor, so it's not stupid at all, actually. It's very, it's very good. Oh, it's a frustrating strike. It's yeah, extremely yeah, it's frustrating because, you know, you can't work and stuff like that. But same time, it's much needed. I'm a union guy to the core. I'm sure you, you are and your family were as well, you know. Uh, but, you know, so uh, I just, that's all I'm really doing. I'm trying to just uh, embrace life, you know, and, uh, and you know, you know, you are too. Oh, we're, yeah. blessed. we're blessed. We made it out the other side. Yeah. There's so many who have not. And whether they died and you know many who died and or whatever, or they're unable to keep their shit together enough that they can take a breath and can enjoy the fruits of their labors you know what i mean yeah. um, you know I, I see some of our peers out there and you know they're once playing arenas and now they're playing bars and their health is gone their voices are gone and you go why are you doing it and you realize because they've got nothing else it's all they can do you know and you can't blame them for that so thankfully you know uh we've been able to uh you know to thrive and survive yeah, so uh, just uh, for all the listeners out there, there's a Twisted Sister 40th anniversary uh, Under the Blades coming out at the end of the month. And that, uh, the second, it's a double vinyl record. The second vinyl album is us for the first time playing covers. As you know, Zeppelin, Aerosmith, all, remember we ran through all the yeah, yeah, songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it's going to be it's going to be on an album, finally. That's awesome. Under the it's, covers? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, uh, yeah, I know, that's cute. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be the 40th anniversary of Under the Blade. And the insert of the album, is all those photos that we took recording the album in uh, down in, uh, in in battle? Remember you and me running oh, through the barbed wire, yeah, okay. all that crazy, yeah, shit. bloody jogging, bloody yeah. jogging. Yeah. They're not like bloody jogging. They're really bloody. The uh, with the the amplifiers are covered with hay bales because we recorded in a barn. I think people will find those photos uh, interesting. Also, you know, coming up 40th anniversary, if you can't stop rock and roll, and then of course. Next May is the 40th anniversary of We're Not Going to Take It, and we're having discussions right now with the label as to what they're going to do. And I said to them what they should really consider doing, and I hope they do it, is that the concert that we did for MTV, the live Stay Hungry concert that we did, has never been released on audio. 
It's only been released on a video. So I'd like them to release it as a CD, as a, as a double package with stay hungry. So, yeah, so um, we're working, we're working, we're working on, on, of course you saw that, that flash mob in uh, (laughs) Czech Republic. In Hungary. In Hungary, was it? In Hungary, yeah. We're not going to take it. That's what we need. need 400 musicians. (laughs) If you haven't watched it, folks, go to YouTube, put in, we're not going to take it. Hungry, not stay hungry, the country hungry. And watch this video. It will blow your mind. 400 musicians, I think 100 guitar players, 100 drummers, 100 bass players. And they're playing, we're not going to take it to like 30,000 people. It is crazy. The drummers are my favorite. Just seeing that synchronized, that amazing, you know, AJ, may rest in peace. uh, You know, and and I'm I'm talking to the audience, not talking to you, John, here. Um, So underrated child prodigy you know worked with gene krupa as a child uh was little little anthony piero and leading a swing little band. tony little little tony, tony little. little picture of under the eiffel tower with like a full uh orchestra in front of him and he's up there on a riser such a talented guy very frustrated to be made to play like a monkey by me uh play simple straight rock and roll uh because he was you know as as mike portnoy who uh, you know? Who said one of the? And this is the fact that Mike replaced him. That AJ is so underrated. But I said to AJ, I'm thinking from the beginning of the song, uh, we're not going to take it a drum cadence like you hear a marching band play. I always remember loving. I was the announcer for the Baldwin High School marching band. So when they would come out, boop da boop da boop da boop da anything, any college game, I love that. And I said, AJ, can you, if you if we had a cadence, it'd be cool. And he comes in next next day, and it's just real drummers. They know this is not is a very complicated little cadence. It's a really that it's a brilliant cadence, and it, it's nice to see that actually marching bands do play it now at football games and stuff. When they do, we're not going to take it. But uh, yeah, when seeing all those drummers there honoring AJ, every single one of them with their cowbells, amazing. It is amazing, everybody. And that's a legacy that continues on. And that's why Twisted Sister can continue on because of the songs that you wrote. So let's be let's put that out there, man. You realize that you've written a song that has transcended cultures and ages. And there are very few songs that do that in this world. And you have written a couple of them. I want to rock and we're not going to take it. We're not going to take it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a folk song at this point. Yeah. It, it, is will, it will live on and you know but it it the inspiration you know of the, all these songs is this this statements that i that we were making i was making came from what we went through man yeah you know yeah. I, I tell people you know 10 years people watch the documentary and they're stunned 10 years i say you know if someone came up to me and said d all your dreams are going to come true you'll become a rich famous rock and roll star but it's going to take 10 years i would have looked at them and said yeah you know i'll do something else i if i knew it was going to take 10 years up front i'd be a doctor i'd be a lawyer something you know it only takes eight years to be a doctor i think yeah but d but you know what i used to say i used to say that when i watched the beatles on ed sullivan show on february 9th 1964 and i said to my parents that's what i want to do if someone put their hand on my shoulder and said 
okay, John, you will have a gold record 20 years and six months from now. I think I would have said, are you out of your fucking... <laughs> exactly. And the stars are arise thinking, we're going to be discovered in the basement. You know, so, you know, it, it's... Uh, yeah. So, I mean... What were the things that I created were inspired by what we went through, you know, we, we went through hell. We did. And, uh, and it's nice that, you know, we've gotten as the recognition we've gotten and more and people as the years go by, I think, again, the band transcends where it was from that, you know, and people just start to realize it was way more Twisted Sister than just you know the couple of songs or whatever way more it was an attitude it was an inspiration i mean it, you know andy horn who did our documentary said he, he was that's what he, why he did the doc may he rest in peace you know because he said it was a rocky story he didn't he didn't care about once we got signed that's behind the music they're all all the stories are the same all the same after that point but the story beforehand the struggle he said it's pure it's inspirational it was. It was and remains so. And we're all still here to talk about it and be healthy. And I really appreciate your time on this. I know you're really busy. And I know we kind of like shoehorned this in schedules. We really shoehorned it because this is being got, you know, leaving on vacation with right. and we're recording this in the evening for me. Uh, you're on West Coast time. So thank you very much. I'd like to thank my producer, Matt, uh, Matt Mallinger, as a matter of fact, right now. And I'd like to remind you guys, I'm going to be at the Stony Brook. Uh, rock at the Long Island Music Hall of Fame that's located in Stony Brook on October 8th doing a uh, Q&A, a book signing, and I'll be performing Lou Reed songs. And by the way, D, guess who's coming to play bass with me? Kenny Neal is coming. Really? Out. Awesome. Yes. And awesome. Mark and Kenny are going to play together on Walk on the Wild Side, the dueling bass part. That, which... that is really awesome. And and if you, ha I, I've not been to the Long Island Music Hall of Fame but this this incarnation, because their plan is to change things up. Right now, I'm told it should be called the Long Island Twisted Sister Hall. Hall. It is. It is because there's huge statues of you, me, Mark, as you enter. It's kind of like costumes, uh, everything, just guitars, everything's there. So, uh, but I hear it's really great. I see it while you can. Go see Jay. Um, you know, and 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 I know I'm going going on and on, man, because we could talk. That's the thing we could talk. We have talked for hours and hours while we drove in cars. We talked forever. But people say to me, "What, what is it? You know, that, that bothers you the most about your legacy?" And I said, "The idea that we were all pedaling as fast as we could. The idea that we were playing what we played and how we played and looking how we looked because it's all we were capable of. And there's nothing further from the truth." Individually, every person is an accomplished musician. You're an accomplished blues player. Eddie's an amazing studio guitar player. Mark, good God. What did, what did, what's his name say? Big Fast Fingers bass player from Talis. Uh, Billy Sheehan heard, saw, played with Mark and said, I didn't know you could play like that. AJ Pirro was a child prodigy. I was a, I was a classically trained countertenor. I've been on Broadway. I sang opera on Broadway. Uh, you know, and people just sell us short. No, we played what we played because we loved it straight ahead, basic, in-your-face rock and roll, and we wanted to be outrageous and outlandish, and, and but it wasn't because it was all we were capable of doing, and I think that we're all showing that in, you know, in our post-Twisted Sister careers, you with your podcast and your book and your articles and things like that, and go see John kick ass. I know we'll be playing some blues for you, and he, play, and he plays an amazing blues guitar player. Thank you. You know, the... Uh, the thing is that when people say to me, why are there so many ex-members of the band? And I said, because they couldn't keep up. 
we were brutal. Our And we didn't think we were brutal. That's the whole crazy part about it. We skated through hell. And people don't understand the way we left littered behind us, all the residue. They just couldn't keep up, man. There was you just... remember we auditioned a drummer? Walter Woody, Walter Woody Woodward III, beautiful looking drummer, was with a band maybe called Rachel or something, came in, auditioned, got the gig, and then we sat him down and told him, okay, but this is the rules of the band. No chicks backstage, no getting high, no drinking, no drugs. And he said, and when we finished, he said, listen, I'm going to pass. <laughs> He was a fan. He was a fan. He goes, I'm going to pass. Um, can we just do I'll Never Grow Up Now one time before I leave? <laughs> At least he was honest. Yes. He didn't, I said, thank you for not wasting our time. We, you know, thank as you for a, not wasting our time. As to all the liars, you know, yeah, told exactly. us they wouldn't, couldn't. Anyway, we've got to go. Thanks so much, man. Thank Pleasure. you for being on. More success on the book. Loved it. Bye, bye, frats. It's a story, as Chris Matthews said, tell me something I don't know. You guys don't know this story, and it is a story that's worth being told, and it was told beautifully. So thank you very much. I love you, John. You're my brother. See you guys next week. With great sense, speed.